Hey, prayer podcast family. Listen, this is going to be different than any of my other episodes just because the Holy Spirit has given me some things. I'm like, all right, I'm sitting in my apartment at 1138 p.m. basically preaching to myself. So if you're one of the five people who probably still listen to this podcast, if you listen to this episode all the way through, DM me at the prayer podcast on Instagram and let me know your thoughts on, on this, right? I'm just working through it and I just, I got to tell somebody, so I'm going to tell the void and hopefully somebody hears it out there. Um, so listen, when I was in, uh, I'm a licensed minister and when I was in like school to, to be ordained or whatever, um, we used to have to do sermons every week, right? They teach you how to preach and they help you understand, not like how to like shout or whatever, but right. They teach you like how to understand the creation of a sermon and how to make it, you know, that you can follow it and how to read scripture and how to explain scripture in modern vernacular and some tips and tricks about what pastors do to be able to give a cohesive message. And I've always been generally analytical and plus I have a law degree, so just pile it on. <laughs> and so I loved to, a lot of my messages were kind of like this, where I would look at what normally is the shout, right? What's the part of the sermon or the scripture that people normally get excited about? And I try to see the other side, like who are, what I like to say, I'm in love with the B characters. Like who are the B characters in this story and like what's their perspective? And so I had a sermon I did in 2019 called The Prodigal's Brother, right? If you've ever heard The Prodigal Son, it's Luke 15, 11 through 32. It's called The Prodigal Son and um, that's, or that's, we know what it's about. And so this sermon that I wrote was called The Prodigal's Brother. It's four pages, so I won't read it to you. It's not super long, but I want to get to what I want to get to. Or should I read it? See, this is just me talking to the void. You know what? I'm going to read it. Um, so you can kind of understand where we're going. And then I'm going to tell you like the downloads that the Holy Spirit was giving me right now. And just like your thoughts. So let me just read it. If the youngest son was a prodigal, meaning reckless or extravagant son, the other son was probably properly described as the dutiful son. Dutiful means consciously or obediently fulfilling one's duty. Motivation usually for dutiful people is responsibility rather than desire or enthusiasm. And I'll personally add love. So that motivation is normally responsibility rather than desire, enthusiasm or love. Now, let's see what we can deduce some some facts about this family from the text based on scripture. When the youngest son, the prodigal son in this story, told his father in real terms, like, I'm just modernizing the language, but this is exactly what he said to his, his father. You're dead to me. Give me my inheritance that I would normally get when you die. Now, he got so much money from his father. He was rich, rich. The father divided the what the inheritance would be if he died down the middle, one to the, the younger son, one to the older son. And the younger son was rich, rich. The Bible says he squandered his wealth. He ain't squandered his student loan refund check or his birthday money. My dog squandered wealth, which meant he left his older brother with a lot of responsibility and duty. 
His brother didn't get to be young and dumb. He didn't get to disappoint his dad or quote unquote go to college. Or he didn't even get a chance to think about himself or be selfish. He was left with responsibility and duty. Verse 17 says that the younger brother, after he went out and squandered wealth, he came to his senses. Meaning he had lost his mind. He had lost his money. And he ended up coming back to himself, understanding his upbringing and going back to his father's house. He repented. He turned away from that life. And he came back to the father and the family. Now, this in church, if you've ever heard the sermon before, which I'm sure you have, is usually where the shout is. And it is shout worthy, rightfully so, right? The younger brother humbled himself, recognized his sin, and came back to the father. He decided not to live below God's potential for him because we know that the father in this story is a symbol for God. And he gave his starving souls to be filled with the Lord, through the Lord, by the Lord. Honey, glory, hallelujah, right? But what about the dutiful brother? And in modern terms and maybe in your life, what about the mama who's been taking care of the child for years and now the father gets to come back to himself? What about the child who has taken care of the parent for years through illness or sickness or dementia and now their sibling just gets to come back to themselves? And what about the church worker who has volunteered day and night and worked with the pastor and put on the conference? And here come old boy who gets to do what? Come back to himself. Let's look at what happens in the text, keeping those questions in mind. The brother, the younger brother, comes back to himself and the father just, honey, he just reinstates him to his rightful place for free. It wasn't no begging. It wasn't no pleading. It wasn't no working. He just walks up in there, honey, just waltzed on in there, all humble. And the daddy was like, here you go. What's up? What's up? Here are some things, right? Some really expensive things. We know he got a robe and a ring and all of that. And I'm sure if the older brother is anything like me, he like, ah, 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 ah. You took your half, right? So the robe that you got on your back and the sandals on your feet and the ring on your finger, all that's mine. Because when we divide the inheritance, you took your half and what's left belongs to me. And how my daddy going to give you something that belonged to me? Rude. I stayed, right? This is the older brother's feeling. I stayed. I worked. I was dutiful. Where is the justice and the fairness in that? If we say God is a just God and God is a fair God, and if the father in this story represents God, where is the justice and the fairness in that? Now, I identify with the older brother a lot more than the younger brother. I do and have done a lot of things out of duty and righteousness, hello, and responsibility. And sometimes we can't see the reward in that. Like, all right, Lord, I'm being faithful and righteous. I'm not doing this. I'm not going here. I'm not saying that. And now I just feel like I'm not having fun. Like everybody out here in the streets, driving the boat, you know, doing the thing. And I don't see my reward. I I don't have the things that I want based on the duty that I felt to follow what you're asking me to do. Where's the reward? We can't see that the younger brother... What we can't see, rather, 
even though we understand what happens with the older brother, particularly if you think of the story as not just a story, but a real person's real life, then we know that the older brother doesn't understand and can't see that the younger brother was actually days ago just thinking about eating pig slop. And that ain't the older brother's testimony. Right. And the younger brother was alone and disconnected. That ain't the older brother's testimony. The younger brother didn't have a home and was going through it mentally. He was going through mental anguish and turmoil. That wasn't the older brother's testimony. So let me pause here. And because the Holy Spirit was giving me this revelation to say, to say this. Holy Spirit, help me say it in the way that, that you, you gave it to me. Um, I, for a very long time, because, honey, I've been in church since the church was open. Okay, that's not true. But, you know, a long time in my life, I feel like I've been in church. And I've heard this sermon five different ways from Sunday. And I always focus on the fact that half of the money, right, went to the younger brother and the other half and basically everything that was left at the house when the younger brother stepped out the door, everything that was left, if the father had went to see the Lord at that moment, would have gone to the older brother. So when the younger brother returned, the robe and the shoes and the rings and the fatted calf and all that technically belonged to the older brother. And you didn't even ask the older brother if you can give it away. You didn't ask the older brother if he can give the younger brother the inheritance early. You didn't ask the older brother if when the younger brother came back, you could give him something that technically belonged to him based on the fact that you already gave out inheritances. If you're giving out inheritances, give them out. You feel what I'm saying? And I always felt like, mm, I, I hear what y'all saying, but some about that don't sit right to me. And the older I get, you know, you, you got a little life. And so the Lord today, Holy Spirit was like, Shana, the older brother did not have the experiences. We like at church to call them testimony, right? But let's be honest with what it was, the turmoil the the younger brother was out doing drugs, hardcore drugs. He probably was like on, you know, biblical heroin or something, right? The Bible tells like he was really partying, partying. And it wasn't like, no, yeah, let's hit the club for an hour. Like, he was out here in these streets. He was out here enough to squander wealth. So who knows what he was buying and what he was doing, right? And so like the Holy Spirit basically was telling me that even though the money was gone and the older brother technically felt like now you giving him my money, right? What belongs to me? The older brother had peace, a peaceful life, a soft life, a life that wasn't filled with self-induced stress and turmoil and, and loss and lack and heartbreak. Because let's be clear that the younger brother, most of what he went through, at least that we see on the page, is by his own doing. He didn't have to go through all that. He didn't have to feel all that. He didn't have to come back to himself if he had stayed with himself, Okay. So the Lord was just telling me like peace of mind is worth more than this money. And we have to, the perspective of the older brother, he missed the fact that he had had a place to stay every single day. He never stressed about money. He never stressed about food. He never stressed about family. He never stressed about knowing who was going to be around him. He never stressed about safety. And of course I'm inferring a lot into this passage, but like the peace of God that was given to the older brother was not valued by the older brother. The older brother, because of what he was doing based on duty and not love, only saw 
either financial reward or his father, you know, saying that a boy, good job. He couldn't see what the Lord had given him that was intangible, which is peace and comfort and safety. Things that his younger brother who, yeah, had this little party situation and had all this money. And the older brother probably really romanticized the experience of the younger brother. The older brother, if if you would have asked the older brother, what your younger brother doing? He probably was like, he's partying and has all the girls and has all the money and all the fun. Like he probably was romanticizing the younger brother's life. Meanwhile, oh boy was about to eat some pig slop. Okay. (laughs) Couldn't be me. So what I'm trying to say, and again, DM me if you listen to this and you're, you're tracking with me or you have something to add. But what I'm trying to say is like, we have to make sure that we put value on the intangible thing as much as we put value on the money that the younger brother took. Because the money that he took com- doesn't even compare to the things that he lost by leaving his father. Holy Spirit, help me. When the younger brother walked out of that door, the peace and the protection and the favor and the love um, and the community that the younger brother lost, even if he hadn't had multiplied the wealth that his father gave him, it was worth more than what he lost. And therefore, and the flip side of that, the older brother retained so much by staying that he didn't even see because he was so hung up on comparison or duty or responsibility or inheritance or anger, pride, guilt, fill in the blank, whatever we can infer that the older brother was feeling. And I think, you know, because I'm team older brother. I don't know if it's a competition, but if it is, I'm team older brother. I think that he felt um, unappreciated. And that's also on the father. Let's just say that the father could have been a little bit nicer to the older brother or more open with his words or loving with his uh maybe his love language was words of affirmation and he didn't affirm him enough you know so I felt like the father could have done a little bit more that's another sermon but the fact that he lacked a little bit he just inferred all this lack and like had this big heavy heart around his life versus if you live in a good life and somebody comes in like cool come on live a good life with me versus it's a us or them experience it can be we so that wasn't in the, the thing I wrote. So jumping back into the sermon that I wrote years ago, y'all. So I got a couple of plot holes and it was just like a sermon I did that I never actually fleshed out. But here we are. Um, all right. So we talked about that the older brother doesn't know the struggle that the younger brother went through. He romanticized his life and now is mad that after you squander your money, you coming back for mine. When in fact, that's not the position of the younger brother, but that's the experience of the younger brother's return by the older brother because he's living his life out of duty and responsibility and not enthusiasm and love. So even above all those things, right? God revealed to me that duty does not equal love. We, he wants, God wants our actions and our inactions to be rooted in love and not duty. That's not to say that I don't love waking up early to take my kids to school. So I'm going to stop because you love your kids and because your experience with your kids is rooted in love. You take them to school. But if your love or if your actions are rooted in duty, there's no enthusiasm and no um, wanting or desire to do those things because it's just duty. And if you do things out of duty, your expectation is either reward or somebody doesn't appreciate you. So I'm not saying that the older brother didn't love his father. I'm not saying that. 
But what I am saying is that based on his response to his younger brother's return, he stayed at his father's house because he had roots in duty and not in love. And his roots in duty and his his idea that I have to do this, I don't want to do this, I have to do this, made it hard for him to love his brother when his brother returned. And let's not forget that the younger brother was probably hard to love. I mean, the younger brother literally told his father, you're dead to me, give me my money. And I don't know about y'all siblings, but my brother would have been ready to square up if I had said to my mama face, you're dead to me. Like my brother was like, what? You said what to who? Right. And so I'm sure that the younger brother was hard to love, frankly, and he made life a little challenging. But the older brother, because he didn't love what he was doing and love why he stayed at his father's house, his younger brother's return felt more threatening than um, than like a party than enjoyable. So if we're not careful, what we do in our life can slip from the love category to the duty category. And when we operate from duty, it's hard to see our prodigal brothers and sisters coming back from up the road and rejoicing that they have reinstated to their rightful place in the kingdom and in destiny. So if our jobs, for example, we can start off loving our jobs and for whatever reason and whatever stressors and whatever metrics and whatever KPIs, that love slips into duty. It's hard to rejoice when one of our coworkers gets, you know, employee of the month or if another organization or nonprofit gets nonprofit of the year from, you know, some big um, organization. It's hard to swallow that and rejoice with them. Or it's hard to see somebody who may have lost their way or another org that may have had some slip ups, get a new CEO and get back on track, right? It's hard to rejoice in that when the work that we do is out of duty and not out of love. When we operate out of duty, it's hard to see others taking their rightful place in the kingdom and destiny because their rightful place feels like they're skipping the line to us based on duty. Now, the, the Lord also told me that duty over love leads to entitlement over empathy. So that's why when if we're working out of duty and somebody takes their rightful place, we feel like we're entitled to be in front of them. So if anything looks like they're in front of us, even if it's true or not true in our heads or in our hearts or in the, you know, the the publications or the news or whatever, if they get their org or their business put on the news before ours is, or if they get a bigger grant or if they get to hire a major player or somebody supports them or publicly like champions them when we've been doing the work and they're newer or they had a scandal or this or that, right? We feel entitled to be first in line because duty over love leads to empathy, leads to entitlement over empathy. When we aren't working in love, it pains us. It actually pains us not to see people to get what they deserve. I, you know, Medea always say, uh, I'm not going to let Jesus get them because Jesus goes too slow, right? Y'all ever seen this, the movie Medea, Medea movies? It feels like, God, you going too slow. They deserve to get this, this repercussion, this consequence, this hurt, this pain. They deserve that. And you may or may not be right. But if we're not working in love, it actually physically affects us or emotionally affects us if they don't get what we think they got coming to them. 
Now you can see people like, oh yeah, you know what? You deserve something different. But I, I mean, it's not sweat off my back if it happens or it don't happen. But if you really be like invested in the fact that they get quote unquote what they deserve in a negative way, we have to ask ourselves if we're working in duty versus love. We don't know, right, what's going on in their heads and their hearts. And moreover, we don't know what's going on in God's head or God's heart. So we don't know if they got what they deserved or not. But the fact that we want to know if they did it and to see it publicly really shows more about our hearts and our heart posture than than them and their actions and their, you know, prodigalness and their return unto themselves. So um, no one. Right. Let's think about this. No one can hurt you more than we have hurt God through our sin. And God's reply to our our hurt of him is what eternity in heaven is what him giving his only begotten son. So if we are to act in the image of God. When we feel like somebody hurt us or to take it back to the story, when the older brother feels like the younger brother hurt him or hurt the family or betrayed them or left them or however the younger brother was feeling, because we don't know if the older brother and the younger brother had a close relationship and the younger brother just left him. We don't know if the younger brother was a pain his whole life and he's like good written to be gone. We don't know if the older brother saw the father crying himself to sleep over his younger child that left him because ain't no mama in the story. So I'm assuming she died or something happened. And the older, we don't know what the older brother saw or thought or experienced or how he felt about the younger leaving. We only know how he felt about the younger returning. And he probably felt hurt. And so he felt like, because I'm hurt, you don't deserve to get anything that we got up in this house. But we also want to say, okay, Lord, when I've left you, because we're going to do some things, right? When I've left you, when I have done my dirt, when I've not believed, when I had small faith, when I was like, yeah, God, I trust you, but I went ahead and made plans. When I went left, when you asked me to go right, what was your reply? Well, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, that it's eternity in heaven, right? And the whole New Testament is about Jesus and why he died on the cross and what that did for our life and how it redeemed us because of our sin, in spite of our sin, um, and not any rejection in that, but pure love. Now, again, I want to say that I am team older brother. If there's a competition between the younger and the older, I am team older brother, but Honestly, he needed a heart check and to look at God, the father's response, right? Or to look, I want us to look at the father's response, which again, in this story is symbolized by God. So in verse 28, the father went out and pleaded with him. When the father saw the older brother wasn't at the party, the father went out and pleaded with him. He came to see about the older son in love. He heard and understood the older son's emotions in love. He separated himself from the younger brother and from the party and from the servants and from all the things that were happening in the house to come out and check on the older brother because he loved the older brother. And he didn't tell the older brother, like, you're selfish. Get yourself together. This isn't about you. Like he heard and understood him. Now, if you have this family dynamic If one of your kids or maybe employees or whoever, right, takes all the attention and drains all the air in the room. If you can look at your family and be like, yeah, you, this the child right here that when they walk in the room, 
we already know what's up. I encourage you as somebody who also identifies as the older sibling in life, not necessarily in my family structure, but just in life and certain things and certain experiences to go out and check on the one who you would say closely resembles the older sibling, the one who may work out a duty or a responsibility, the one who's always there, the one who you can count on. Go check on them. And seek them out. Seek out the forgotten one, the dutiful one. Get to know them. Talk to them. Explain your love for them. Like the father in this scenario or in the prodigal son does. Or our heavenly father actually does for us. The Bible tells us that he leaves the 99 for the one. Now, you didn't heard all this and you may be asking, Shana, well, how do you know that he did it in duty versus in love? Well, verse 29 to me has duty written all over it. He is saying to his father, you never celebrated me. You never let me live my own life. You never let me X, Y, Z. And frankly, the father didn't let the younger son do anything. The younger son took it, right? So maybe there is also some responsibility in the older brother's fact that he did stay there out of duty and not out of love because is it possible i don't know but is it possible that the older brother loving his father would have looked like he went to foreign lands or he had a party with his friend or he found someone he wanted to date or he decided he didn't want to work on a farm and he wanted to like i don't know do something else what they used to do in the biblical times that it wasn't farming be a warrior i'm not sure (laughs) But like his life may have looked differently if he works out of love because he would have had the freedom to find himself and not in the way the younger brother did, which was party and squander. And, you know, but in a way that he was able to be curious about the call of Christ on his life and not do what he had to do because he felt like he had to do it. But I do also think it's important for us to note that this experience not only brought the younger son and the father closer, but it also brought the older son and the father closer because he says to the younger son, you've been with me, right? You've been with me and you didn't know me well enough to know that all I have is yours. This reminds me of kind of like the story Jesus told some of his disciples and it was like, y'all been with me for three years. And you can't do basic stuff, right? So I also want us to explore, if you're trying to figure out if you're working out of duty versus out of love, if you are close to somebody, if you work with a coworker, if you live with your your mom or dad, if you've been best friends with somebody for X amount of years and you don't know them well enough to know anything about them, their history, the things that they like, the things that they don't like, the things that they do out of duty, like washing the dishes, the things they do out of fun, like dance class, right? If you have been with somebody long enough and you don't know how they feel about you or you haven't expressed how you feel about them or y'all haven't had conversations or you don't know them well enough, then that means that you may be, it's possible, doing certain things in that relationship or that situation out of duty and not out of love. Because basically what the father is saying here is like, The love I have for you and the love I thought you had for me in this situation, it would have been evident that all I had was yours. And so there was a disconnect in the older son's and the father's relationship to the point that there was something about the father that the 
older son didn't know, even though he was with him day in and day out. And I think, you know, if we're reading that, I think that also grieved the father and made him reevaluate some things too, because he was like, Oh wait, you didn't know that? You didn't know that I would have died for you? I literally gave your brother inheritance while I was alive. And you didn't think you could have a party? Like, come on, right? That was probably the father's internal dialogue. But we also have to ask ourselves as we're in relationship with other people. It's like in our minds, we may be obsessed with them and love them and want to give them the world and would die for them. But do they know that? Have we shown it through our actions? Have we said it with our words? Huh? <laughs> groundbreaking saying it with your words is it duty or is it love that's what we're trying to figure out and how are people experiencing it not just within ourselves but within relationships close relationships similarly to the father and the older son the father goes on goes on to say you wanted a calf for you and your friends but you ain't ask right how many times have we wanted something from god and we haven't explicitly asked how many times have we implied a no from God, been like, he know my heart, he can read my mind, but we have not literally opened our mouth and said, God, I have a desire to be married. God, I have a desire to have a kid. God, I want to move. God, I need a new car. God, I need my cousin to come back home. God, I'm worried about the health of my grandmother. I need you to heal her or let me know how to take care of her. Lord, I'm not exactly sure how to have this tough conversation with my friend. I need you to give me some wisdom here. God, I'm hiring somebody for my job and I am nervous about how this is all going to fall out. And it really feels like it came at a bad time. I need you to intervene and show yourself mighty. Like how many times have we not asked God to do or to have something? And if we know what we do know, which is that the father in the prodigal son story is a symbol of God himself. The father says, you wanted something for you and your friends. All you had to do was ask. I wonder if the Lord right now was telling us the same thing. That there are so many things in this world that God can do and will do and want to do. And he is interested in, in those things that we have in our hearts. And he wants us to come and ask and seek and find. So, friends, I'm grateful for you if you listened to this thus far. Um, I hope whomever listened maybe had a thought or the Holy Spirit was moving in them or, or that it maybe made you question if you were the younger brother or the older brother or if you're acting out of duty or out of love or if there's somebody really close to you that you are with all the time and you may not actually know them in the way you thought that you knew them. And it encouraged you to really get to know them and have open and vulnerable, honest conversations. I'm so grateful for the Lord um, to let me find these, you know, this sermon idea. And I'm grateful for you listening. If you want to talk about it or if you liked it, <laughs> um, send me a DM at um, the prayer podcast on Instagram. And I hope you guys have a great night.